Good morning, everyone. If you haven't made plans, I'd really encourage you to consider coming tonight. If you haven't been before, you, uh, I can just let you know that it is a, a sweet family time. It's uh, very relaxed. It's like gathering together in the living room together for some praise and some prayer together. So if uh, you're thinking about coming, let me urge you to uh, make that commitment. You won't regret it. When I mention the name Vincent Van Gogh, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? A lot of people think of the fact that, oh, that's the artist who cut off his ear, which is true, but that's only a very small part of his story. In fact, the more you know his story, I believe, the more you admire and appreciate his work. At least I do, because I'm amazed at the bright and bold colors that were born out of a very broken man. In fact, this is a picture that we have over our mantle in our living room. Uh, Interestingly, it's the only painting that Vincent van Gogh ever sold within his lifetime. If you think about all the famous paintings today and how much they're worth, he basically was a starving artist, and this is the only painting that he ever sold. I've found that when you really know the artist, you think of his paintings and not the places that he failed. You appreciate the masterpiece instead of the mistakes that they made. And and I tell you that because I think we see something very similar within the stories of faith that we read about in Hebrews chapter 11. Because what we see in these verses is just a snapshot of their lives. Much like Van Gogh, it's a very small part of their story. And also like Van Gogh, these examples of faith are born out of very broken lives. Take Noah, for example. We celebrate, as we did when we looked at him in our passage, his bold faith in building an ark in preparation for the flood, as we should. But we should also be reminded, after having been rescued by God, he planted a vineyard and then became embarrassingly drunk with wine. God promised Abraham a son, and through him he would build a great nation. And we celebrate that by faith, Abraham believed. And then he became impatient. He had a child with his maidservant, Hagar, taking matters into his own hands instead of taking God at his word. Isaac played favorites with his sons instead of believing the divine promise that the older would serve the younger. Jacob, as we know, was a deceiver who wrestled with God in order to get his way. Moses committed murder. Rahab was a prostitute. These heroes in the hall of faith were filled with imperfection, but God sees their faith and not the places they failed. What this should tell us is that Hebrews chapter 11 is not primarily about the faith of extraordinary people. What it should tell us is the hall of faith is filled with imperfect people, just like you and I. These are masterpieces of God's mercy and grace. Beautiful works of redemption born out of broken lives. 
In the end, all of these stories are pointing us to the promise of a redeemer, the one whose perfect obedience led to a perfect sacrifice so that all who believe can be saved. Jesus is the one who makes all things new. He's the one that brings beauty from ashes. He's the author and perfecter of our imperfect faith. That's what this is about. So before we look at our passage this morning, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for your mercy and grace. We are masterpieces, workmanship of all that you've done that we don't deserve. You are faithful even when we're not. Father, thank you for taking what small, weak, and frail faith that we may have creating something beautiful beyond what we could ever ask or imagine. And as we look at your word this morning, may it stir within our hearts the hope that we have in you who accomplishes great things with very small amounts of faith, even amidst our imperfections. May it challenge us and encourage us to put our hope and trust in you more fully this morning. We pray this in your name. Amen. All right, if you would turn to Hebrews chapter 11, we'll look at verse 32. Begin there, I encourage you to read with me. It says, And what more shall I say? For time will fail me if I tell you of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and of the prophets, who by faith conquered kingdoms, performed acts of righteousness, Obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of sword, from weakness were made strong, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. I'm going to pause there because up until this point, we've been looking at really heroic examples of faith, most of which the author has unpacked in some detail. But here in these closing verses, he gives us just a general list of names along with the description of various victories that they experienced. And he, he says that time doesn't allow him to go to all the details that it would require to explain these situations. And so it, it kind of gives the appearance of just a kind of a, a random list of names, but... There's nothing random in Scripture. When we begin to unpack their lives, we see that they have some things in common. First of all, all but one were born and lived during the time of the judges. The time in which the Bible tells us every man did what was right in his own eyes. So what this is telling us is that collectively, these are people who put their faith in God when others were walking away from God, rebelling against God. They stood strong when others fell away. And I think in the same way, he's very strategic. The author is wanting his audience to have that same perseverance as people around them are abandoning their faith in the midst of persecution. He wants them to persevere even in the midst of struggle and doubt, which is the other thing all of these examples have in common. Take, for example, uh, Gideon and Barak. They were called into battle, but before they 
were to ever enter, they were filled with doubt. You remember the story of Gideon, how he required God to give him repeated proof that he would be faithful to his promises. Remember the laying out of the fleece that he did multiple times just to confirm God's commitment. He wanted to make sure God would come through before he was willing to go all in. And then there's Barak, who was summoned into battle by a woman named Deborah, who happened to be a judge of Israel at the time. But Barak refused to fight unless Deborah would go out with him by his side. So here was a man who was supposed to defend the the lives of women and children, and yet he wouldn't go into battle unless this woman, who apparently is braver than he was, went with him as well. Of course, there's Samson. We all know his story of faith, which, like David's, is complicated by immorality. God gave Samson unmatched physical strength. Yet his eyes were weak, and his heart was Filled with lust, and his final victory really only came as a result of an epic failure. Jephthah was a judge who was also filled with doubt because before going into battle, he made a promise with God. He, in a sense, made a deal that was completely unnecessary that he would do something if God promised to come through, which he had already done so. And much like Gideon, he just wanted to have extra assurance that this was going to work out like he'd hoped. And as a result, he made a foolish vow that led to the death of his own daughter. So so clearly, these are people who had plenty of flaws. And yet, they're listed here. Hebrews chapter 11, as people of faith. Because... They were willing to trust in God, however weak and frail that might have been, when most were abandoning God and turning away from Him. And God used this mustard seed of faith to do miraculous things. We all know the story of Gideon, how God whittled down his army to some 300 men, and he conquered an army of thousands upon thousands. Should have never happened. Barak one in battle. David killed Goliath with just a, a sling and a stone. We know the story of how Samson was able to kill a lion with his bare hands. These were all divinely empowered to overcome insurmountable odds. Others were miraculously Delivered. They're not listed here, but it kind of refers to it when it talks about those who quenched fire. We know about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? Who stood in the midst of a fiery furnace completely unharmed. Or, or Daniel, who was delivered from a, a den of lions. We look at these people and we, we see that their faith in God stood stronger than their fear of the situations they were in. See the faith of Samuel and his bold proclamation of God's truth in a world among a people of apostasy who were turning away. Or prophets like Elijah who were given the power to to raise people from the dead, which is probably what is being referred to there in verse 35 when it talks about women receive back their dead by resurrection. Showing us the unlimited power of God through the genuine faith of imperfect These are all stories we want to be a part of, aren't they? We want our name on this list, giving us victory over our enemies, 
helping us find freedom from our failures. We would love to have our name here on this list in Hebrews 11. But faith is not a formula for success. Look at how it continues there in verse 35. Others were tortured, not accepting their release so that they might obtain a better resurrection. Others experienced mocking, scourgings, yes, also chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were tempted. They were put to death with the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, ill-treated. Men of whom the world was not worthy, wandering in deserts and mountains and caves and in holes in the ground. Now, unlike the previous list, this is not a list we would sign up for, is it? These are still people who are listed within the hall of faith. But did you notice we don't even know their names? These are the others. The nameless ones whose faith led them to a very different outcome. And if you ask me, these are the real heroes in the hall of faith. Instead of being faithful in the midst of triumph, we see that they are faithful in the midst of great tragedy. And not unlike the first list, we need to understand that all of these events are true. They actually happened. These people have names, even if we don't know them. And probably the people in the Jewish audience that this letter was written to were well acquainted with their stories. And some of them may have included their own family and friends who stood firm in their faith while everybody else was abandoning. These were people who stood strong even in the midst of persecution. They were unwilling to deny their faith in God to avoid pain and torture. Even as a result, they were mocked. It says they were beaten. They were imprisoned. They lived in miserable conditions, and yet somehow they survived. And then there were others who were put to death Because of their beliefs. They were killed by the sword. They were stoned to death. They were sawn in two. These are evil atrocities against humanity. Carried out by people who hated God. But then they encountered those whose faith in God would not be moved. When I read these examples, one of the pictures that immediately came to my mind took place during the time of some of the ISIS terror that was going on. And there was this picture, some of you may remember this, of the Coptic Christians as they kneeled on the beach, hands tied behind their back, with ISIS soldiers with swords, just moments before they were beheaded because of their faith in Jesus Christ. All throughout history, people have died for their faith and still others were punished. They became outcasts in society. We see that in verse 37 when he talks about those who are destitute and ill-treated, wandering in the desert, living in caves, hidden in the mountains. Or like Jeremiah, thrown into a, a well and just left to die. These are the others. And their testimony of faith, I believe, continues throughout history. Polycarp, one of the early Christians, was burned at the stake 
because of his faith in Jesus Christ. William Tyndale, some of you may have Bibles written uh, in that translation that he was responsible for. He was strangled and then burned for translating the Bible into English so that you and I could read it today. Missionaries like Jim Elliott, who died because he was taking the life-saving truth of the gospel to an unreached people group. It was Elliot who once said, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep in order to gain what he cannot lose. That's heroic faith. And in my opinion, those are the real heroes. But more often than not, if we're honest, we prefer the stories of victory. We like the battles that are won against all odds. I mean, isn't that what movies are made of? It's what we are drawn towards. It's what we want to be a a part of. Stories of divine power and deliverance leading us into victory and, and the freedom that we desire. But God calls us to be faithful even in the midst of our defeats. Standing strong in our convictions even in the midst of our persecution. Being willing to to lose our job or even our life because of our faith in Jesus Christ. Giving what we cannot keep in order to gain what we cannot lose. Look at how he finishes in verse 39. And all these, having gained approval through their faith, however feeble it may be, did not receive what was promised because God had provided something better for us so that apart from us, they would not be made perfect. The author does something really interesting in these last two verses. He, he kind of draws it to conclusion by putting all of the aforementioned examples into one single category. Because despite their flaws and failures, each of them were declared righteous by faith. They were not redeemed because of their good deeds. They were not chosen because they were impressive people. In fact, they were all aware of their failures and had gone to God humbly for His forgiveness. Because of their humble repentance, they became a masterpiece of God's mercy and grace. We see in verse 39, they were approved by their faith, and yet not one of these people received what God had promised. Which on one hand tells us that their faith was not dependent upon immediate gratification. I call it vending machine faith. It's where you put something in expecting to get something out of it. But for some, we know that their faith, what they received back, was a life of pain and suffering. But they did not believe in God so that He would give them their best life now. It's not a promise of God. It's a figment of our imagination because it's what we want most. They, as should we, put their faith in a future reward. Hebrews 11:1 reminds us Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. It is something better than anything this world has to offer. 
That point is made very clear in verse 40. I think the NASB is a little bit confusing, so I want to give it to you in the NIV. Let's look at that together again. Going back to verse 39 so we can complete the thought. There were, they were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised since God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. Did you notice the change in pronouns? How it went from them to us, which is telling us we, you and I, as followers of Jesus Christ, we have something in common with these incredible people listed here in Hebrews chapter 11. These heroes of faith. Because they look forward to the hope of a future promise, a Messiah. And we look back to that promise fulfilled in Jesus Christ. We see the something better that we all have in common. And that is our Savior, Jesus Christ. Our imperfect faith has been made perfect in Jesus Christ. All of our failures have been covered by His sacrifice on the cross. We have been made worthy because of His complete forgiveness. We are declared righteous because of His faithful obedience. We were dead in our sin and we have been made alive together with Christ. So along with these saints listed in Hebrews chapter 11, we stand with them as described by Peter in 1 Peter 2.9 as a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of God's own possession so that we may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called us out of darkness into His Marvelous light. That's who we are. That's who we're called to be. So let's think about. Let's consider for a minute how these truths apply directly to our everyday lives. Because in our lifetime, we will find ourselves in either of the categories that we walk through in our passage this morning. Because there are seasons of life when we are experiencing victories through our faith. And praise the Lord for that. And yet, there are also times that we are called to have faith in the midst of tragedy. And more than likely, in our lifetime, we will experience plenty of both. So, if you are in a season of triumphant faith, then praise the Lord. Right? Don't, don't be embarrassed or, or feel guilty, but give all the glory to God. Because the church needs to be encouraged by the evidence of God's hand still at work among his people. We need to hear stories of victory, testimonies of people who have overcome addiction, marriages that have been restored, prodigals that have come home. We need to know that God still brings healing and hope into our lives. So please tell your story. But when you do, Make sure it's spoken out of a heart of humility. Because if it's not, very often those stories can cause more harm than good. Don't use your faith as a recipe for others to experience the same blessing. It will only mislead people to believe that faith is a means to get what you want from God. Okay, That's not what it is. Instead, faith is more about God's getting what He wants out of us. That's what faith is. 
So rejoice in the victories that God has graciously given you to experience. Be careful not to suggest that they are rewards for your extraordinary faith. As Paul reminds Timothy, I think he speaks to this when he warns him about men of depraved mind and deprived of truth who suppose that, here it is, godliness is a means of gain. Faith is not a formula for success. It is a gift of God given to us so that we may bring glory and honor to Him. And I believe this gift of faith is more precious during times of tragedy than at any other time. That, I believe, is when faith comes alive. Because very often, the beauty of our faith is revealed most convincingly in the midst of our brokenness. Trusting in God and, and when life gives you every reason not to. In my opinion, people like this are the true heroes of the faith. One of the first names that comes to my mind personally is a woman that we've probably all heard about named Joni Erickson Tata, who has spent her life confined to a wheelchair, but she would tell you that's not her biggest struggle. Her biggest struggle is that she wakes up every day with ravishing pain. But she's also a woman who believes that suffering is what gives us the equipment we need to exercise our faith. She once said, sometimes God allows what he hates to accomplish what he loves. And over time, she has found peace in her incurable condition. She says this, God hasn't chosen to heal me, but to hold me. And the more intense the pain the closer his embrace. That's heroic faith. I've heard her say more than once that if she had to do it all over again, she would not change a thing. Because the disability that she experiences has introduced her into an intimacy with Christ that she would have never known without it. Karen Wolf, another woman who's confined to a wheelchair, reminds us we're all disabled in some way or another. Because none of us have unlimited access to whatever we want or whatever we planned our life to be. True beauty is faith that is seen in the midst of our brokenness. Yeah, sometimes we experience the beauty of faith in the midst of triumph and, and sometimes it's in the midst of of tragedy, but we can be certain that whether it's in either category, God is present and at work in the midst of it. That He who began a good work in you has promised to perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. Because one day our faith will become sight, our hope will be realized. So fix your eyes on Jesus, the perfecter of our imperfect. He's the something better that we all have in common, not just between us, but with the people that we've looked at here in Hebrews chapter 11. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things, so that He may receive the glory forever and ever. Amen? Let's pray. 
Father, we are deeply grateful for what we've seen in Hebrews chapter 11. And even being reminded that this morning that these, ex- these incredible uh, testimonies of faith came out of the lives of very broken people just like us. And so we can read them knowing that they're not some far-fetched idea that is never obtainable by mortal man. But in fact, these are things that are true in our lives today when we put our faith and trust in you as they did. Father, we are your workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, that you prepared beforehand so that we may walk in them. So Lord, may we see the evidence of your hand. May you strengthen us as we experience faith in the midst of triumph, but also, Lord, may we stand firm in faith even in the midst of tragedy. And since we will all be in different seasons at different times, may we come alongside each other to encourage each other in the tragedy, to rejoice with those who rejoice, to weep with those who weep. But in all things, we put our faith and trust in you, our Savior. Amen. Please stand. I really hope you're encouraged by Hebrews chapter 11. I don't know how you've read that in the past, but I think there's a tendency to put all these people on a pedestal and see them as unreachable. And I don't know about you, but when I look at something that I feel like is unreachable, if I have a project, good good example is I'm not good with electricity. Lance Landusky knows this to be true. And so I'll see a project and I'll think, I'm out. It's beyond, I can't understand it, and I just want to, I'm out. But, but there are other things that I look at and say, yeah, I can do that. You know, I, I know how to do that, a little step at a time. Well, when we read Hebrews chapter 11, I don't want you to be overwhelmed by examples that you feel like you could ever, never obtain. I want you to see these as imperfect people, just like you and I. God did not call you to do incredible things with extraordinary faith. He called you to a simple faith so that he can do extraordinary things. It's him. He's the one who's behind this. So take small steps of faith and just watch God do great things. I I often live by a simple mantra. Do the next right thing. Have faith in that and trust the Lord to move mountains from there. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for just the encouragement that we receive from Hebrews chapter 11, where you help us see the incredible things that you do through very imperfect people, just like the people that fill this room, myself included. So Lord, may it be an encouragement to us. May we see that we belong as people of God with imperfect lives, but with sincere faith. We belong in this hall of faith, just like them. This story continues And there are people that are populating chapter 11 all throughout history, including the people in this room. So may they live courageous lives, both in triumph and in tragedy, because we serve a great God and our hope is a future reward that one day will be true when our faith becomes sight. We pray this in your name. Amen. Have a great day.